All right, so we are in our spoiler section for the movie Hereditary, and now we get to get down into the weeds, you know, get to they dive in now, <laughs> really get into some good stuff. It was physically hard not to, like, really get into it in the non-spoiler section. Just like, I want to talk about specific things. It's so difficult. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I've got a ton of notes here, and i got a lot to get through. We, we've got a lot to get through, really. So um, let, let's first, we touched on this in the in the non-spoiler section, but I think we should probably touch on it now. We talked about hype in the non-spoiler section, about how this movie was being compared to The Exorcist and, you know, how when you kind of take that kind of hyperbole and you attach it to a new movie, you kind of doom it from the start because then people go in thinking they're going to be, you know, throwing up in the, in the, <laughs> the theater and you know, leaving the theater because they just can't stomach what they're seeing, which is, you know, what happened at, you know, at the exorcist yeah. know, all those years ago. Um, but it, it's never a good thing. And, and I think to do it to this movie is kind of a, dis- a disservice really. And I wouldn't say that this movie is the exorcist. It's not the same thing, but I do think, and as we said in the non-spoiler, I think the Babadook is probably a much better movie to compare this to a, because they're both indie movies and B, because there is certainly the psychological element that uh, plays into this, that being the possibility of mental illness, which fever- yeah. featured um, is somewhat in the, the Babadook. And I guess probably should throw out a, a spoiler warning for that. I guess it doesn't really ruin uh, a whole lot there. But a spoiler for, for Babadook, if you haven't seen it, go watch it. Um, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. But anyway, so – the Babadook and this movie, the the possibility of mental illness and what role that might play in the movie, in the plot, and in, in the characters and stuff, that is definitely present here. And I think it's something that we should definitely talk about because there's two ways you can read this movie, right? There is the fact that the characters in this movie uh, suffer from mental illness or you can also, or I mean, which I think is probably true to some degree, but also I think the other way, obviously, is that there is something about the hereditary line, the family, and that is what is the most important aspect here because the law, the bloodline, is the important thing when it comes to the ending of this movie, when you have the 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 dark hellish god Payman who uh, ends up taking control of. Um, was it Alex? I was Alex. Yeah. 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 So the poor, poor. No, 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 no. P- Peter. Sorry. Peter. Peter. Oh my God, I did right. Yeah, yeah. Peter. Um. So that's the two ways you can look at this movie. It's it's either mental illness or it's this is actually happening. I mean, this this kid has actually been, you know, possessed by uh, Payman, who is you know, it's it's a real. I mean. If you look in real life, if you go look at the text, this this god payment or this you know the, he's like the a king of hell or something like that, one of the kings of hell, one of the eight uh, kings of hell, eight, yeah. eight kings of hell, and he's like he answers to to Lucifer that kind of thing, and so like that's a, a real life you know in in the text kind of thing, um, so yeah. Anyway, so those are the two ways you can look at this movie. And I think we should probably get down to talking about that. But I do think um, before we get into that too much, should we comment on 
who's pulling the strings in this movie. And I think the way the movie also kind of shows us in a roundabout way what's going on without quite f- being so obvious about it. Um, so let me let me illustrate and I'll see if you agree. So you know how you have Tony Collette's character, Annie, right? And so she does those those dioramas. She does those miniature houses, right? Yeah. You know? And so all throughout the movie, you see, you know, she's working on this one for a client, but it seems like most of the time she is creating these scenes of her life, right? It's like the yeah. recent passing of her mother has forced her to kind of confront certain things that happened to her growing up. And certainly, and maybe most importantly, around her children, right? So we have scenes of, and this is honestly very disturbing, but there's a a scene that she creates of her feeding uh, Charlie, the girl, her her daughter, and her mother in the scene that she has constructed has her one breast out and she's reaching to pick up the baby. So we also learned that her mom, by the way, her mother – who would be the grandmother of Charlie, breastfed Charlie. Which is all kinds of creepy. That is like, just, that's that's got to be cottage milk coming out. Cottage cheese. Just, <laughs> it's disturbing is what it is. Um, and that's just weird. Very weird. Um, yeah. So you see her doing all these scenes. And I think one of the things that this movie is trying to say is, if you look at Annie as a character in terms of, her constructing these scenes, she is the puppet master. She is the one who is putting things into place and moving these characters around in these scenes and basically, you could say, controlling their lives, right? Sure. Yeah. But that's exactly what's happening in this movie as well. But the people in this house, their house, don't realize that the puppet masters are outside and they, and by the way, also could be payment as well, controlling some things as well, because we do see some things in this movie that signify that he is in control or at least influencing some of the characters, being that that light, that shimmering light. Yes. So anytime anybody has a shimmering light, they are being influenced and or controlled to some degree by payment. Okay. Um, but also beyond him or it, you have the cult. The cult is out there and they are doing things. They are causing events to happen. They are influencing events. They are, you know, you know, uh, uh, taking the dead body, the recently dead body of Annie's mother, and they're putting it up in the attic. Okay. Um, They are, and this is just the question I had. So there are things that I feel like that they do in this movie, and it might seem a little ludicrous. Okay. But I'd even go so far as to say that that deer that's in the middle of the road, when Charlie is, there are uh, Peter is taking Charlie to the hospital. It just happens to be there. Yeah, I don't think so because I think Charlie being killed was intentional. Oh yeah, because you know, the need is not supposed to be in a female host. Right, exactly. So we have this this cult, right? So let let's get into you know what does this mean? So obviously Annie's mother is in a cult. We get a hint of this early in the film when Annie reluctantly opens up this box and we see her pull out a couple of books. One appears to be 
uh, about like symbol like symbols or something I can't remember the exact spiritualism spiritualism or something and then later on in the in the book or in the book in the movie when she's actually seeking information she starts pulling getting deeper into the box and that's when she's pulling out things that clearly clearly indicate that her mom was heavily involved in some kind of cult okay oh yeah cuz all these people have that necklace that she has and that her mother had right exactly um so her mom was the head of this cult and if we look at their past there's a point in the movie where Annie is in like a therapy session, right? It's for people who have lost family members. She goes there and she's just talking about her family. She's kind of unloading on this group here. And, and they're all like, wow, our problems are not as bad right. as yours. I thought the same thing too. You know, they're like, wow, boy, do I even need to complain tonight? <laughs> Obviously not. Right. Um, but one of the things she said, which was interesting, and I remember even at the time thinking that just seems a little weird but I feel like this is going to come back was when she was talking about her brother, about how her brother um, was diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic because he said that his mom was trying to put people inside of him. Yeah. Remember that? Ding, ding, ding. Okay. Right. There. right. And then, of course, she reveals that he killed himself. Okay. Yeah. Um, so her mom dies and now these weird things seem to be happening. Then – and he meets this woman who says, you know, hey, I was in this group and, you know, here, here's my number and I lost my, my two sons and all this stuff. And, and then this woman um, ends up doing a seance. Yeah. And by the way, guys, any woman that stops you in your car and says, hey, I recognize you from four months ago, run. Like, that, that's a big tip off right there. Like, don't care who the person is. Like. You just go. Like no one should recognize you from four freaking months ago. Right. No, that that was a nice thing you just said there. I think that's definitely correct because uh if you can recognize somebody, you have a photographic memory is what you have. Okay. Yeah. So and this woman is but his name is Joan. And uh so she does a seance and, and the glass moves and you know, Annie is obviously freaked out about it. Who wouldn't be? Uh, but she presses the candle and the instructions and, and whatever to Annie. Annie eventually tries to do it and apparently succeeds in contacting her daughter because, you know, of course, like we said, her daughter is dead and uh, has been killed. Um, and then the family – she brings the family together, calls Annie. And I think this whole point of this was to bring Charlie in but also bring Payman in, okay? Because – I think that script. Yeah. Yes, because payment I think has been controlling or in heavily influencing Charlie for a long time. Yeah, and um Annie as well. Yes, definitely, because of the sleepwalking. Yeah, exactly. Was waking up with like turpentine covering herself like <laughs> remember that that's a terrifying scene. Yeah. Um yeah. to wait to be Peter and wake up and see your mom um Splash having splashed turpentine all over the two of you and herself and lighting a match, like striking it. Um, and and why is that? Well, I think actually, and this is just my theory, I don't think that that was in that particular moment that was payment. I think that was Annie trying to kill the three of them because subconsciously, deep down, she knew that killing them would prevent exactly what ended up happening ultimately 
something in our subconscious like happens to know what's going on or some repressed memory is probably from her childhood that's really deep inside of her that doesn't come to the surface but something there knows like because if it was payment like he wouldn't kill the male host that he wants to inhabit that's just crazy exactly you're right so yeah uh what's that okay so we have the seance seance goes on and that obviously pulls in Charlie into the house and also Payman. And there's this thing that happens throughout the movie. It's it starts early and it continues. There are scenes where in the shadows you think you see something. People. Yeah. Yeah. It could be a person, it's a dark a dark deep shadow, something moves just slightly or you see a, an outline. And it, honestly, it is a creepy thing to see because you don't know if you're just seeing something or if that's, in, you know, intentional, you know, yeah, so it's, it's really effective. It is very, yep. I like it a lot. Um, so obviously the person affected most by this is Peter. He is, Poor uh, Peter. yeah, he is, um, this kid who I don't think has ever really recovered from what his mom almost did to him. You know, a few years earlier. I mean, think about that. You're what, 17 years old, 18 years old, 16, maybe. I don't remember. 16 or 17 years old. He's got his driver's license, obviously. So, and his mom almost set you on fire. You're the one that woke up and saw it. I mean, how do you reconcile that? I'd be terrible. Like, even if you believe her that, you know, she was sleepwalking, there's always going to be a part of you that thinks like that was just her subconscious talking and actually wanting to kill you. You're yeah. always going to think that. Yeah. So he likes this girl in school, sits behind her and he goes to a party and he has to take Charlie with him, you know, forced to take forced your to. younger sister with like, that's just like teenage thing that happens. Right. And while He's off in one room uh, smoking pot with some of the other kids there. Uh, Charlie takes a piece of cake, which she doesn't know is that nuts are in the cake and she's allergic to nuts. And of course, when she eats the cake, her throat gets starts to swell. And that's when Peter, you know, carries her to the car and he's driving down the road, sees the deer, misses, like swerves to miss it and ends up decapitating her because she's sticking her her face out the window try to get some air yeah. and i gotta say i was shocked by that scene i did not expect oh, that to happen god yeah like room was dead silent but um i will say that i have a problem with the, okay. how that hall went down because a if your kid has allergic to nuts there's no flipping way that that kid's gonna be out without an epipen that's just like not even conceivable that that would happen well, uh okay well first of all I will say this. I a, it's alluded to early in the movie that these this family is not a family that is prepared well for anything, because no. even at the uh, funeral when Charlie was eating that Hershey bar and um, yeah, they're making sure that doesn't have nuts in it. Well, he they even she even says Annie says, uh, "Boy, I'm glad." Something like, "Boy, I'm glad there was nothing new nuts because we don't have the epipen with us." Yeah. Um, exactly. So but- right, right from the get go, they don't have it, and and it doesn't even seem like Charlie is capable of even making sure she has her own epipen with her. Even that bothers me. Like, even if all the circumstances, a mother would have that epipen. So that kind of bothers me through the whole thing. But even beyond that, even if the kid doesn't have the epipen, 
this is a high school party. There is no freaking way that they're going to be baking a chocolate cake with nuts in it. Like, sure, maybe like you'd get stoned and you're like, hey, here's a box. Uh, all I have to do is add like milk to it and I'll put it in the oven. Like that's kind of something a stoner would do. But no way you're gonna prepare it, add nuts and all kinds of like icing and bullshit. Like that would never ever happen about you get stoned and you order a pizza like that's what you do <laughs> okay well i mean fine I, I i can see where you're coming from there but um, and i hate how the fact that they shove that down our throats so like that camera zooms into those that's like hey this is what's happening guys pay attention there are nuts there guess what she's gonna eat i'm like okay whatever <laughs> like i could see this coming but okay right that bothered I, that's me. just a editing Thing. They probably could have done a better job of not making that quite so obvious there. And maybe the camera work could have also been less of a highlight of that. But uh we do get we do get that shocking scene though, and I that gotta say very effective. It was brutal and the look on Peter's face, he knows what happened. He just he doesn't have to look. He can't he, knows. he can't. And I love the way in which he just drives home, gets out of the car. Goes in, walks back to his room, crawls in the bed, and lays there. Like, like, what are you gonna do? You're in shock. You're right. not gonna do anything else. And like, it, and I love how the camera sits right as a nice big close up on his face as his mom. You hear in the background, his mom, her mom is, you know, downstairs. Says, "I'm gonna go get what you say, go get some milk or something, or I'm gonna run yeah. a couple errands." Goes outside, and you can hear her scream and like guttural screaming the, the look on his face is unchanging i mean he is so totally numb to everything um that was that's brutal and i gotta tell you i mean we haven't gotten to the grading and stuff and we'll just talk about some of the performances here before we continue um alex wolf a standout job in this movie i mean Kills don't get me wrong tony collette is amazing and she definitely is the best you know out of everyone but she's also got a lot of those scenes that really highlight the range just because you know what she's tasked with doing but he does a fantastic job here i mean he is it may not be quite on the level of, of tony collette but man he does is nothing to be ashamed of with this performance this is a great performance from alex wolf i gotta tell you i was really astounded by how good he did yeah, because like through this whole movie, majority of the shots of him are on his like blank face. But he has to have a blank face that's still emoting something that he's either not feeling anything, that he's numb, or that he's overwhelmed. Like there's very few parts of this that he actually is emotional. Most of it we're just looking at him staring dead into the camera with this blank face, but it still emotes so much. Like he does a fantastic job. You can read what he's feeling without him needing to make sure that the uh the camera or the audience knows explicitly um it's a lot of subtle subtle with body posture a lot of nonverbal acting that goes into kind of communicating that to the audience very much so and i really liked that they did that perfectly yeah they did great um yeah before we continue let's just talk a little bit about the performances and then we can keep it going with like what's uh, happens in this movie and getting down to some of the other stuff uh, Millie Shapiro, obviously, I, I thought she was going to be in the movie longer just because I, I just assumed yeah, as much. But I will say, you know, she does a really great job here. It's just like kind of her uh, like her debut thing. I think she's on Broadway. Uh, so this is like her, her film debut. And she does a really good job. She's disturbing young girl. The <laughs> popping noise, the 
the makeup. Oh my god. There's a point when um, Alex is in the car and he hears that pop. He like, pulls pulls over to the road and that pop, that popping happens and three girls behind me just scream. Like, it got them <laughs> so off guard. It was it was amazing. It broke the tension in the room, which is like what you needed, and it it was so effective. Right. Um, yeah. So that he uh, the, she does a great job here in this movie. Um, I really like what she did. Uh, a lot of nice little things with her. And let's talk about Gabriel Byrne. Um, he's an actor I've always admired. I, I don't think he ever gets quite the amount of credit he deserves as an actor. And what he does in this movie is he, he's, I'd almost say, to a certain extent, I'd almost call him a little bit of the MVP in this movie. And I'm, I'm just, let me explain why. Because Tony Collette's performance is so crazy because of what, she goes through as a character and the reactions that she has and the, and the things that she suffers uh, throughout this film, it's so easy to be blown away by what she does and you deserve to. But I think if you're going to have that kind of absolutely crazy, maniacal performance, you have to balance it out. You have to have a counterweight. And the counterweight in this movie is Gabriel Byrne. He has to be, to a certain extent, the exact opposite of her character while she is just completely going off the rails uh going crazy he has to be the calm uh person the one trying desperately to keep this family together i mean the glue i mean he literally is he is the glue that keeps his family together if he wasn't there this family would have disintegrated a long time ago. I guarantee it. Very much so. And like, I mean, he lost a kid too, and he has to be the one that, you know, is strong and keeps, like you said, keeps them together, keeps her head above water. It's totally like he is a, a pillar of strength in this movie. Yeah, I like, say even s- though. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. Uh, even though he, like, loses it at times and it looks like sometimes he's unemotional and uncaring like he's just coping like the rest of them but he's coping in a different way he is and i wrote this down on my notes i have it right here i said what's really awful in this movie is everyone else especially annie is suffering and going through all this pain her more than the most pays attention to what she's feeling and how much pain she's in. And I'm not saying that she doesn't care about her family and the fact that they're going through stuff too. But nobody in this entire movie ever asks him nope. what he's going through. How are you feeling? Are you okay? Nobody, not a single line ever, ever addressed to him. And, and it just... I think it goes a long way to show you how much Annie takes and takes and takes. I mean, and this is, by the way, way before the events in this movie, by the way. Oh, yeah. I mean, one of the brilliant things this movie does and the the many brilliant things that it does is in the early scenes in this movie, it goes a long way to show you just how disconnected this family is because they're all in separate rooms. Annie's in in her room doing her little, you know, her job, which is how they make a living, or at least how she contributes to the family um, wealth because she puts these whole, all these things together. And so she's often sitting in there by herself doing all this work. 
obviously Peter is in his room or somewhere else. And then, um, uh, what's his name? Um, Steve, Gabriel Byrne's character, he is sitting, you know, so, so everybody in Millie, uh, Shapiro's character, Charlie, she's also somewhere. So it's like everyone is just constantly separated. They're never together and it never feels like they're a family. It's probably been this way for a very long time. Again, way before the events in this movie, probably I would say the last time maybe maybe they were a family was before Annie tried to burn her son and daughter with, you know, turpentine and fire. I think that is the moment that things changed. Right. So it's been at least that long. It's been a few years since that, you know, that family felt like a family, really. And Steve has been the one keeping them all together. And so uh, I think, you know, Gabriel Byrne does a really good job here of trying to be that rock for everybody without having a rock to lean on himself. Very much so. He's a very, very strong character he's playing. And you don't even notice sometimes. Like, I was even thinking, like, I didn't know that... I thought he was the stepfather. I didn't think that they were his kids for the beginning of this movie until they actually said that they're his kids. I was like, oh, wow, okay. (laughs) Because they're so detached from each other that I just felt like he was the odd one out because they're all pretty psychotic and he's like that one, you know, stone faced, you know, keeping everybody together, pillar of strength kind of guy. Right. He is. And, um, yeah, he just does a really good job here being that, like I said, that counterbalance, that counterweight to Tony Collette. And, I, you know, as for her, and we should get down to her, uh, she's as brilliant as everybody says. Um, she's probably, at least in my opinion, one of those actresses in Hollywood that is very – if you were to ask people in the industry, she is very well-respected, I would, I would assume, uh, with a lot of, you know – studios and other actors i feel like she's a very professional actor she always seems to give a a great performance or at least a good performance in everything that she's in like you never feel like she's one of those actors that's going to let you down um and i've seen her give excellent performances uh the united states of tara uh was a tv show that she did a great she had multiple Multiple personalities. personalities um she was obviously the mother in the sixth sense and and we know uh, she was actually nominated for an Oscar for that movie years ago. Um, but this is, I think, by, by a wide margin, the best performances performance she's ever done. And and that's that's not saying that anything she's done before has been bad. It's just that this is really really that good. I mean, she takes it to a whole other level. This is the kind of movie that I hope the uh, Academy Award pays attention to and she gets that nomination. In my opinion, she right now is the the best performance I've seen by an actress so far this year. Absolutely. Like this is an Oscar worthy performance. She deserves to be nominated like easily. There's a point in this movie where her face is just like horrified. I think it's, I think it's when um, all the answer on uh, Peter's body Mm -hmm. and she's like, she's sleepwalking or whatever and her face like her jaw goes so low her face is like so distorted in horror that i literally thought it was going to like just melt off her face it was going to be like something like that and it was so extended and she 
it's such a good job. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, it, she just makes the way she can make her face go is like incredible. She goes through, as far as I can tell, at least just about every single emotion a human being can go through in this movie, and that's no joke. I mean, from from. I think there might be a couple of times where she laughs maybe. Uh, I know there's not much room for laughter, but um, you know everything that happens that a human being could probably uh, convey, she seems to do that in this movie. And it's just a brilliant job. And she, she deserves all of the accolades that she's currently getting. So yeah, I hope they do absolutely. nominate her. I think she deserves it. Um, and certainly she should be recognized uh, by the Academy and hopefully that she isn't. And look, I know for some people, the Academy Awards don't mean anything. I totally get it. And I also understand the fickleness of all of that. And, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't really mean a whole heck of a lot to a certain extent, but, um, but still it does matter in some ways. And, you know, if we're talking about performances that deserve to be recognized, they're never going to recognize all the ones that deserve it. But uh, at least right now, Hers is the best I've seen so far. So, absolutely, I'm in total agreement there. She does really amazing job. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I have a funny story while I was watching this movie. Okay. Um, so I was originally going to go watch the movie alone because it's not the kind of movie my husband would ever want to see. And but then I'm heading out, and my mom's like, "Hey, what are you gonna go do?" She's like, "I'm gonna go see a horror movie." He's like, "Oh, I'll come with you." Oh boy. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm not sure you want to see this horror movie, mom, but she t- tagged along with me like a trooper, and you know, we go through the scenes like you know the daughter dies, you know you see Tony Collette just like this her horrible screaming. It's so intense. They bury her, and then they go back to the house, and my mother. <laughs> Like I have tears in my eyes. I'm so emotional. And my mom's like, God, their house is beautiful. That's such a nice house. Wow. <laughs> I'm just like, are you dead inside? <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, without missing a beat, they get home after the, all this emotion. She's like, this is such a pretty house. <laughs> like, well, that's that's what you were thinking. That's the thought process you're going, what's going on here. <laughs> right. Like, I have a whole new respect for you. Wow. That is some next level like coping right there. Right. Yeah, I was I was kinda distraught actually from you know for me. I was I was completely broken up, you know, at that Oh point. my god, me too. Like I'm trying to like hold it together because I like I don't want to cry in a theater like in a horror <laughs> but, movie, you know. Yeah. Exactly. And she's just like she's a trooper, not affected. Wow. <laughs> nice. Yes, right. <laughs> like, oh my god. <laughs> Uh, all right, so so let's keep going on here. I know we did detour for some comments on the acting here, but um, so anyway, we, we get to a point in the movie where after the séance and after Charlie and, and that, you know we assume Payman starts to really make the presence his presence known and her presence known in the household, and then the cult members are kind of doing their thing. Of course, we don't realize that now that is the family. Uh, but they manage to get the body of Annie's dead mom up in the attic because Annie goes up there and there's flies. And the first thing you, you, she sees is flies coming down the uh, the ladder that leads so up into the attic. So you know already. So there's got to be something up there. And the moment you go up and there's like, it's like flies, it flies everywhere. And then eventually she sees her mom's body and there's like a, a candle between the the legs of her mom and the, her mom's head's been cut off. So, <laughs> it's real nice. Right. So... <laughs> By the way, 
I don't know how long that body's been there, if it's been a few days or a week, but no matter what, you would smell that body. <laughs> you would smell that body outside of that house. <laughs> so that was something I'm like, you're not just going to pull the attic open and smell it. <laughs> right. I, th- I think it depends on how long it's there. I think we were supposed to take it that it had only been there for, for maybe a few hours. I think they've but had it held it like somewhere, maybe. Must have. Because, like, yeah, the beginning of the movie that immediately that grave was desecrated and then it, i like they don't really give you a timeline on like the events that have passed but it seems like about four months passed after uh from charlie's death to that point okay like they mentioned somewhere i'm just like where were they keeping that body <laughs> like where's it been in a freezer like, the people must have been storing it yes yeah, so they keep it in, like a freezer or something you know somewhere yeah you know but then um, again, like the flies, like that would be from maggots. Like, how many days does it take to, you know, for the maggots to turn and evolve and have flies and everything like that? Like, makes you wonder, like, how right. long has it really actually been there? Right. Yeah, that's true. Um. All right. So then, eventually, Anna begins to catch on. Like, something about Joan. She goes to try to define Joan. Joan is. Uh, she's not home. Uh, but her mat, which is something that Annie commented on before, looked like something that her mom made made for other people, including their family. And she ends up realizing that, in fact, that is something that her mom had made because that symbol is on that mat, the, the symbol that they have around their necklaces, like Annie's necklace and, and everybody seems to be wearing. Um, so Annie rushes home. She looks through her boxes and she finds a, a book full of pictures. And then the pictures, she eventually finds this Joan woman who, you know, is, is obviously is like the second, probably the second in command of this cult, really, next to her mom. She's or is now definitely the, leader. the taker of the puppet yeah, strings. Right. She's, she's probably now the leader, at least currently. Um, so now Annie knows the truth. Um, and at this point, uh, Peter is at school. He is kind of walking in a daze. Uh, he sees the the flash of, of light, uh, the shimmer of light that kind of goes to this classroom. He goes into the classroom. He's there. And he looks over into the reflection in the glass. There's like a, a the reflection like smiles back at him. We saw that before. But there's this point where he kind of like is sitting there and then – Everything's kind of like glazed over and weird. And then he starts making like this weird noise, this like popping noise. And then everyone looks behind at him and he's just like this weird, like his hands all twisted and weird. Looks Uh, like he's having a stroke. Yeah, it looks like he's having a stroke. And then he just smashes his face into (sighs) his desk and then does it again. And the second time it wakes him up and he's completely freaking out. Yep. Um, which leads his father, you know, to come pick him up. And, you know, when he gets back, Annie, of course, being in a complete hysterical mode, is trying to get get Steve to look at this album. Um, and she's she's just like going on this big range. She's trying to get across, you know. And oh, and, well, first thing that she does is she gets him to go upstairs. And when he goes up See there, the body. He, yeah, he sees the body. Um, and she's trying to explain him desperately, like all these things are falling into place and she's desperately trying to convince him that, you know, what's going on and, and why it's all happening, or at least 
she thinks that she knows why. And you can tell him he's he is just done with this. He is like completely done. And she gets him downstairs and she wants him to throw this book into the fire because there's a time, a point in the movie where she tries to throw this this book, which is what Charlie would draw her pictures in. And when she did it's that the connection. Yes, the connection. And and when she tried to do that, it lit her her arm on fire. So she can't do it herself. And so she tries to get Steve to do it. Initially, it seems like he's going to, and then he says, "No, screw this. I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm not doing this anymore. You're sick. You need help." So she grabs the book, she throws it in the fire, and he bursts into flames. Steve yeah, does. Poor dude. So this guy who did nothing wrong, but of course, Payman, if he's controlling any of this, is, doesn't see him as you know crucial or anything. You know, to he, he's in fact he's an obstacle. So get him out of here. So he's gone. Yeah. And the moment like, that happens. Oh, the moment that happens, you see she goes from shock and like ready to scream to payment like gets in her. Like you see the light yep. kind of go into her chest and then she just kind of smiles. And then the creepiness ramps up. So then oh, we, does it. Yeah. So we go back to Peter and he's laying in bed and he wakes up and he kind of sits up and I'm sitting in the theater. And I'm looking up in the corner behind him, and I'm like, there is something there. I mean, it looks like it's like up against the the corner of the wall, like yep. like Spider Man would be. You know, that was the most terrifying moment of that whole movie for me. Yep, is when you can see a person like above his bed. Like you don't know it's Tony Collette yet, yep. but you know there's a person there. You think it's her, and it's just it is terrifying because you don't know what she's gonna do because you know she's not her no more. Right, and. You know how long she's been sitting. She's been sitting up there watching him, and all you know is it's on. And right, and and then he sits up, and you see her like leap down and run out of the room, or float, or something. I don't know. She floats, she floats out, of the, out of the room. It's the creepiest thing. Right, and so then he goes downstairs. He eventually sees his da- his dad dad's burned body, and she's again up in the corner behind him. And I was waiting for her to kind of leap down on him or something like. And then he he hears a noise, and he looks. He turns around and he sees a man in the shadows, and naked by the way, man, a naked man, and that was creepy. And I thought, is that Payman? You know, like <laughs> it was so creepy. And then Payman's a middle aged dude with a like, painted in white. Like, I, what's going on? So so he runs upstairs, and of course his mom is right behind him, and he oh manages to get up into the um into the attic. And, and pull the uh, the ladder up and close it. And by the way, you think that that scene with him behind, as that was creepy. For me, it was her bashing her head repeatedly oh. and constantly, smashing it against that you know that door. Um, it's so um, it, like it, just it, rem- it reminded me that that scene out of the again spoiler warning that that scene out of the Babadook. Towards the end, when his uh, the butler boy's mom, the mother, when she was doing something similar, because there's a scene towards the end where she's kind of doing something similar, like to try to get in, like she's just smashing her head, yeah, bam, 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 trying to break through the door, and it reminded me so much of that, and it was just... yeah, when she like grips the um, framing of the door and's like kicking in, mm-hmm. yes, exactly, That's, yeah. So, uh, so then she stops, and then he starts looking around, and there's like candles everywhere, and 
she he he sees all these people like around him and and then and then this is creepy when he hears a noise and he looks up and his mom is up and she's got this piano wire and she is like sawing her own own head off with this piano wire seriously it's just like, like, like the first you don't know what's happening because you hear like slush slush you just hear it and you're like god what the hell is that like like is some like you know demon creature like walking up or something like that and just like it, it sounds like footprints at first but then you he looks up it's just like it's the blood sloshing out it's like yep. oh my god right and she's like yeah and she's just staring at him the whole time and so he eventually, you know, he screams and he like jumps out the window and he dies. He kills himself. You know, he falls to the ground. He is dead. And you wouldn't die from that fall, but I'm just, I'm letting it go. Well, for that. I, I thought that he was impaled by the glass. That's oh, what that's, I thought. He might have. That's, you know, maybe they should have made that more clear, but I, I thought that he was impaled by the glass. Um, but anyway, the, the, the bluish light kind of comes down, goes into his body. He wakes up. Um, he makes and he stands up and he makes the popping noise that that his sister Charlie make made uh, when yep. she was alive, right? Um, so we know that payment was probably something that maybe caused her to do that, or that was just a verbal tick that he put into Charlie because that's why you know that he's in charge now because he made the popping noise. Yeah. And so he looks over and he sees his mom's headless body uh, going up into the uh, treehouse. Floating up, just casual. Just casual. Like He calls up inside and there is, well, there are people up there. There's the dead body of his mom and his grandmother and uh, the, the headless corpse of his sister. And there's also other people around, uh, live people. And then he looks over and he sees this this. It's a figure created out of, I don't even know what, wood. But the head is his sister's head. Yep. And it's got a crown on it. Yeah. And That's just lovely. Yeah, right, right. And so then someone, uh, supposedly Joan, picks the crown up off of her head and puts it on Charlie's head and calls him Payman. And it's just like, on one hand, I'm like, thinking like wow is he like bewildered or something or or what because it doesn't look like he's like yeah i'm back baby i'm i'm ready to rule this this earth and you know it's not like he's feel like he's like it still looks like he's half of a kid trying to figure out what the heck's going on here but um <laughs> to me i'm just like i'm thinking like man this guy he's like one of the kings of hell, he comes back into this body, he finally has a host, and he looks around, and all his servants are these saggy, middle-aged people with, like, I saw way more flaccid dicks than I ever wanted to see uh, in that one shot. Uh, and, was, like, yeah. I would look around and be like, this is my kingdom, this is what I've come home to, like... Nah, I think I'm gonna go back. Thanks, guys. It's a little more fun down there, right? <laughs> right? Like, who wants to come to that? Like, can't be better. Right. Yeah. Whatever. So, so that's kind of what happens there, and and I was just like, and then the movie goes to black, and I just was sitting there, sat there for about five minutes in the theater, and I was trying to figure out, like, trying to organize my thoughts. I was just like, wow, 
I, I'm just totally stunned right now. Totally stunned. I'm like, I'm just saying, trying to figure things out. Like there's things that I clearly understood. And then there were some things that I didn't understand. And I knew it was going to take me a day or two in order to just kind of think about it. I jotted a bunch of notes down and then I kind of jotted a few more. And then eventually I was kind of able to pull things together. And I think I realized about, I don't know, four or five hours after I watched, I was able to think more or less have everything figured out for the most part. And, um, it's just a really, really creepy. I mean, like you said, that last thirty minutes or so is completely mental, you know. Yeah. Um, very but, much. So. But it's the build-up. It's the understanding that early on we were already seeing the cracks, and that those cracks got wider and wider. Mm-hmm. It was this slow descent into madness. This has cast kind of how I think of it. It's a slow but constant descent, and then as you're going, you know. Like, you go a little quicker, a little quicker. And by the end of the movie, you're like on a roller coaster. You're just hitting that that dive. <laughs> you know, you've already crested, and now you're going the way down, and you're just phew, completely crazy, you know? Yeah. It's um, a ride for sure. It's it's insane. It's intense. Um, yeah. And, like, teach his own. You know, some people can watch this movie and say, you know, I was bored. You know, I'm fine. Yeah, I found lots of reviews. People are just like, man, I was bored through the whole thing, and... I was just like, how could you be bored by the end it's, of it? Like, it's, you know, horror is subjective. And unfortunately, we live so. in, you know, people are used to seeing movies with a ton of action uh, constantly. You know, like people want something exciting. Snap, snap. You know, let's move, move, move. Let's go. Plot, move, move, move. And it's like nobody wants character and development and, and a character arc and, you know, any of that stuff. They just want a rip-roaring good time. They want an hour and a half movie it's basically action from the first minute to the last minute and that's it you know so and i think really people like you and i like we like like you said character development and like i think we like something see something that we haven't seen before that's what's exciting something that's different something that you know changes like our views and makes us think something one minute and then events change it like something that keeps you on your toes yeah, I mean, like, I love every kind of movie. Like, people, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, I'm I'm pretty much up for about anything, really. I, I don't really – I have certain genres that I, maybe I love more than others, but on the whole, I'm, I'll even sit down and watch a Western and, hey, I'm just hoping for a good movie. And I've seen some fantastic Westerns in my time. Um, it's probably my least favorite genre overall, but there's some really fantastic – great great westerns out there and i just want to see a great movie i don't care whether it's a superhero movie a horror movie an action movie animated movie i don't care it's just, it's just i want it to be great no, that's the yeah thing. i totally agree and i have to say horror is making a comeback like new genuine horror not like hey we're making the fifth conjuring over and over and over again kind of thing like while those are don't get me wrong, those movies are good and they're scary, but when you put actual like depth into a horror movie, it turns into something else, like something that sticks with you. Like A Quiet Place, we did that like a couple months, like maybe even just two months ago, and that was something that you hadn't seen before. It was a new idea, a new type of horror movie, definitely not on the level of this or comparable in any form, 
but it was different. And that's what made it really unique and just it stuck with you. Right. You either have to create a unique situation and uh, or you have to tie a lot of the horror into psychological ramifications of characters and things they're going through, which is something like the Babadook in this movie excel at because – yes. It's obvious that in both those movies there are deeper issues going on. Uh, I know you can quibble and and maybe you have a different uh, opinion of the Babadook and or maybe you have a different opinion of this movie, but certainly I think most people can see these two movies as as being uh, similar enough that you can tell that they're trying to be a little deeper. They're trying to go with some. You know, deeper themes and just not so so much stuff that's just surface level. And uh, I think it's a credit. Uh, I feel like these movies are getting credit to the director and the writer. I think these movies are getting back to stuff you would have seen in the 60s and the 70s where horror was, was very much uh, more of the slow burner kind of horror. Uh, you know, Rosemary's Baby, The Omen. Yeah. You know, those kind of like deeply unsettling frightening movies because they're based on to a certain extent things we've seen before if you look at this movie um i think of like remember the x-files did you watch the x-files the tv show yeah of okay. course you remember right i should why did I even ask that um remember the 1995 episode there's an episode uh where there was like a, a satanic cult at a high school like the teachers were involved like they yes i remember that right right so if you go back to the 90s and, and even the 80s there was like a satanic panic that was running rampant through america um it was just people just thought there's like devil worshipers everywhere right and they're <laughs> they're um you know we gotta, you know, we're so afraid our kids and all this stuff they're going to sacrifice our kids and all the, like it's it's ludicrous but you know it was legitimate fear at the time. So um, I feel like this movie yeah. tries to kind of go in that route. Uh, but also one thing this movie does is that this is very much a movie cult kind of cult, right? I mean, if you look at cults in real life, I mean, they're more like trying to separate you from your family, trying to it's, – it's just a different level. This here is definitely the like, the insidious uh, – Rose. well – Rosemary's Baby was a little more realistic, actually, but um, this kind of cult feels more like what a movie cult would do, you know, like they would be controlling everything and turning up in the third act and that kind of thing. So, uh, but it's not a discredit this discredit to this movie in any way. It's not actually a bad thing. It's just that's the direction they decided to go in, and that's fine. So, yeah, absolutely. And I think if there's anything I think I was gonna ch- I would change about this movie okay. is I wouldn't have the when near the end the mother when she's like up in the corner of his room, but then she like floats away. I would take that out because everything else you can kind of psychologically explain. Yeah, that was the one thing where you knew that this wasn't psychological. Like for definite, this was you know demons. <laughs> and right. That. W- I would take that out just to keep all that like skepticism alive. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing that I like about this movie is that there is a serious lack of jump scares in this movie. And that is great. I mean, like the scares are, are not, you know, jump scares, right? I mean, the character turns a corner and boo, you know, like it, you know, the kind of thing that it's, it's a, 
they're okay, but when they're used too much, it's very it can be very cheap if you use jump scares too much. Um, yeah, and this movie uh, does it the the better way, the old fashioned way, which wasn't jump scares. It was meant to infuse the movie with a lot of dread, and then give you imagery that just kind of creeped you out, it really creeped you out, and things that scared you because the movie kind of worked you up to that moment as opposed to a character walking through a dark hallway. And the next thing you know is something is pops in front of the hearing noise and, Oh, it was just a cat, but you know, you know, so it's just, it's a credit to this movie that the scares feel organic and they feel like they're crafted as opposed to a cheap trick. Yeah. It's like, you feel like you're waiting for a jump scare. You yeah. feel the tension before the jump scare, but they never give you the jump scare. So you're just in this constant state of tension. That's really effective. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, all right. Um, trying to think if there's anything else here that I wanted to point out. Oh, and uh, guys, by the way, if like, any kind of religious person hands you a piece of paper that you're supposed to read aloud that's going to help bring someone back from the dead you can talk to, don't read it. Like, lesson one, guys. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely important to understand. Uh, oh, there's a little bit of trivia I want to throw out here. Um, this was the directorial debut for Ari Aster. Uh, so, you know, obviously, Good cu- for him. kudos to him. It's fantastic work. Um in Peter's first scene at the school, the words escaping fates on the chalkboard uh, and the teacher is discussing it. This is a reference to Halloween where the main characters discusses the same thing in class. Uh, this movie uh, was also released the same day as the trailer for the new Halloween movie coming out later this right. year. Right. So. Which, by the way, no one needs. Just saying it. Just saying, I know yeah. the trailer looks good, but it also doesn't look good at the same time. So yeah. I know yeah. I'm going to get like a lot of hate for that, but we don't need it yeah. <laughs> at all. Uh, Gabriel Byrne and Alex Wolf previously starred together in the television show In Treatment. It was on HBO. Uh, it was on two or three seasons. Uh, good show. Definitely good show. Uh, I would recommend checking it out. Um and the popping noise used throughout the film to indicate the impending doom was chosen because it's the same sound that Charlie's head made when it popped off after hitting the telephone pole. So, <laughs> That's nice. If you need just something else to unsettle you the next time you watch this movie. Uh, in the, by the way, in the dark, alone, on the couch, at midnight, you know, that's that's what you want to remember, by the way. Yeah, I had the I had the lights on when I went to bed after I saw this. I had like Family Guy playing something that was just like familiar. background noise that's familiar. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, let's get down to grading the movie. All right, all right. So uh, let's start out with with script. Um, so for me, uh, pros. Uh, I think the script is is very well crafted. Um, I think that it's layered with a lot of, of excellent themes, and uh, the characters are strong. They're very well written, and the way the screenplay is is crafted, it like I said earlier, it's kind of like a pot boiler. It kind of keeps you totally invested, but it ramps up the tension and ramps up the uh, the rate of crazy. Un- until you get to the end of the movie, like uh, a good book would do, um, 
Uh, when it comes to to cons, a, a little heavy handed at times. I think they could have maybe pulled back a little bit on that. You, you mentioned about the nuts and everything, uh, foreshadowing a few things that maybe could have been foreshadowed but without quite making it so obvious. Um, but you know what? Overall, I mean, this the script doesn't have I think a whole lot of of cons. I think some people, some people might say that the Jones character. It's possible that she wasn't even necessarily needed so much, um, which I can I can see that I, I can you know if you cut her out completely, you could still find a way to make it obvious you know what the real story is in this movie and the stuff with her mom and all that didn't necessarily need Joan, but I don't think the movie was hurt by Joan. And and by the way, Anne Dowd, the actress, forgot to mention her. She's phenomenal. Uh, she's actually in uh, the Leftovers on HBO TV show. Fantastic there. She's pretty much everywhere. Uh, she's everywhere. She reminds fact, me of the. Yeah, Sorry. she's everywhere. I mean, she's like in like four movies or something this year, <laughs> five movies. So in this movie, she has like the unsettling nature of like Kathy Bates in Misery. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, it's you know, pretty high praise. But yeah, I get what you're saying. Just kind of like this creepy, unhinged quality. Yeah, so I feel um, like somebody you don't know if you can like if you can talk to or trust or if they're gonna break your legs or not. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, anyway, so for the script for me is a 91. It's a pretty high score. Um, I like it. I think it's just, well, it's a good script. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you on a lot of points. Um, the script in general, this is pretty phenomenal script. I mean, there's lots of things they had to, you know, subtly put in that you can notice or like, like if you rewatch it again, you'll notice something different each time. I think some things like like we talked about that they really pushed a little too much, i.e. the nuts or that symbol. I mean, if you had just shown that uh, Annie was wearing that necklace and then zoomed in and showed us that her mother in the casket had it on, that would have been enough. But you see it on the book, you see it on the wall, you see it on like tapestry and all and all, everywhere through this movie. I'm just like, I can't get it. That symbol means something. <laughs> we get the message. Um, so some of that was a little like too much you're pushing a little too much you're feeding us way too much but other than that i mean the script's pretty damn solid and pretty terrifying um yeah i gave it a 92 okay (laughs) i'm right up there with you all right so let's go on to acting which i think we're both gonna have pretty high scores for Mm -hmm. um are there (laughs) any stand-up performances yes who are the stand-up performances uh in particular tony collette and i think alex wolf I think they deserve the the highest praise, um, but that's not to say that the other actors were bad. Because obviously we we talked about everybody I and mean, anybody that's a a major character in this film, whether it be uh, Joan, uh, played by Ann Dowd, or uh, Millie Shapiro, who plays Charlie, or Steve, uh, by uh, played by Gabriel Byrne. Everybody ranges from. I mean, seriously. It, they range from very good to amazing. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it, it's nobody gives a bad performance. Um, I mean, the most the worst thing you could say is Millie Shapiro wasn't in a bunch of the movie. She was she was done by what? Maybe I wouldn't even say she made the half point of the movie. Maybe. No, like maybe a, a third, third of the movie. A third of the movie, right? So you know, she's not in a whole bunch of the movie, but what she's in there for, she does a great job. So. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's a, you know, we talked about Tony Collette 
And, you know, when you talk about somebody that deserves the possibility of winning an Academy Award, that's pretty phenomenal. And I think Alex Wolf, maybe he's not quite that high, but, you know, he even he deserves some some possible awards conversation chatter, I think, because he's impressive in this movie. Uh, anyway, acting for me, it, oh, acting for me is like a 94 uh, because I just think that they're that great. Seriously. Yeah. Um, yeah. We could just go sing the praises of Tony Collette over and over and over again, but she is a powerhouse in this movie. She is, she makes it like she turns this movie into something else. Her acting is phenomenal, but beyond that, Alex Wolf, like we talked about him quite a bit too. He is great. I mean, he can pull off having this blank emotional face, having it emote and, be exactly what you need that scene to be but there's also these moments where he's just like full panic breakdown just like like the tearful ugly crying that's you know so good on film he does it really well um and charlie like oh my goodness that girl like she has a face that can be like she can make it look really really beautiful and if she wanted to like just with a few different expressions turn it into something like just so sinister mm-hmm. she has one of those faces that's just gonna get her really far in hollywood yeah um, so i think i want to see more of her she did a really good job too um yeah the, talked about the father quite a bit as well he did a really good job i gave it 97 i think like the acting's wow. phenomenal okay that's a highest part of this movie like the acting makes it sure i I can't disagree with that Uh, all right let's move on to directing um so how good was it i think ari astra did an exemplary job as a director it's his debut film um i think it's a very assured film Uh, you're talking about somebody who is probably spent a good portion of the last few years thinking about this movie storyboarding this movie coming up with shots this has been probably their obsession, his obsession, for quite some time. Uh, sometimes that translates into a bad movie because you're so heavily invested that you it just doesn't work, maybe, like it should. Uh, but sometimes you get a movie like this where it's obvious that the talent is there. He just needed to be given a chance. And this is his movie. It's the story. He He wrote it. He directed it. And I think he's got like this that opening shot we talked about, brilliant, inventive, yep. uh, ambitious, bold. Uh, there's this one shot in the movie. There's a lot of great shots in this movie. We talked about. Uh, there's a lot of close-ups. Um, the framing is excellent. The cinematography is is brilliant. Uh, but there's this one shot where uh, it's upside down, and Annie walks in to from the left through a doorway, and comes in. Uh, passes uh, through and underneath the camera and the camera turns and twists right side up. Okay. And we see her go into another room. I think it's into, I think she's going in, if I'm not mistaken, I'm trying to think she's going in to look at the boxes or something. That's when she goes in and finds her mom's stuff, but it's such a brilliant shot and it's supposed to show just how upside down her world is right now. She's completely bamboozled, you know, like she's just, thrown off and and totally <laughs> she's just she has no sense of up and down right now basically yeah um those are brilliant shots 
And there's only a couple of the brilliant shots in this movie. And it, everything is smooth. It's it's just fantastic. So directing for me is a 90. That's really good rating. Um, directing, I, I agree. It's like, it's phenomenal. Like for a debut film, like it's so solid. You can tell this has been his baby, his, you know, blood and life for the last, like, how long he's ever been working on this. Like, he's definitely been eating, sleeping, breathing this movie. And it shows. It absolutely shows. Um, yeah, like you said, some of the shots are gorgeous. Um, man, I, I can't sing this guy's praises anymore. I think it's really well done. I gave him a 91. Okay. All right, special effects and makeup. Um, so how good were the special effects? Uh, you know, it's a low-budget movie. Uh, we talked about that last week with uh, Ex Machina, you know, how amazed we were that they could do so much with such a low budget. Um, and it's obvious that I think that most of what you see in this movie is in camera. It's some some smoke and mirrors type stuff. Uh, but there are some instances where they actually have to use CGI in order to accomplish what they're trying to do. I think it's actually done pretty well. I don't think it's amazing, uh, but I think given what they were trying to do and how little there was, it is, you know, pretty well done. Um, so I I think that while maybe some extra time could have made them fantastic, you know, perfect, but uh, I'm not complaining. It's not like it's a black mark on this movie by any stretch. It's not. It doesn't take away from anything. Um, but in terms of makeup, I thought that Millie Shapiro, they did a great job with her in terms of like her face, because if you look at her in real life, um, obviously a lot of stuff was kind of added to her prosthetics and makeup and stuff, uh, to get the, the desired look. Um, so yeah, anyway, uh, everything else I think is practical effects, the bodies, the, the blood, uh, a lot of that stuff is just, you know, practical effects that they, they come up with and they use. Uh, I'm going to give them all together, I think, an 85. That's a pretty good rating. Um, yeah, I, I agree. Like, special effects, like, there wasn't a ton of, you know, super special effects. It was mostly just practical work. Um, I will say that the they put a lot of detail into uh, Charlie's head. Okay. And that was one of the most grotesque things I've ever seen in my entire life. It was very effective, very realistic. You know, to and any other horror movie would have had like just the head on the pavement, like that's enough. But to have like these ants crawling around it, it just adds a whole other layer to it. It's just it's so creepy. Yeah, that, that's a really good shot for me, especially special effects. Well done. Um, you know. You, you used them where you needed them and you didn't overdo it. Fine job. I gave it a 90. Okay. All right. 90. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to uh, editing and pacing. Um, You know, for me, I think the, the film, it's a bit of a slow to build up intention. Um, as I said earlier, I think there's the strangeness increases as the weirdness increases. I think the pace and the energy of the film increases as well. Uh, there's a lot of like drawn out language scenes that feel creepy and then it's followed by something that's kind of shocking or unsettling. Um, you have to remember something. It's kind of like last week we did Ex Machina and how we talked about how this is a movie where we have three people basically for the most part, maybe four, but mostly three people in that movie. 
right? So there's a lot of conversations and things like that, that the interesting part is seeing the exchange of ideas and things like that. Those are the things that are fun, but you know, that's where the, the, the pacing kind of moves along is where you get those moments where we get some forward momentum, but otherwise it's a lot of character stuff. Great. This movie is a lot like that. There's other things at play to help push the plot along, but you're talking about a movie where most of it is the interactions between, you know, uh, Annie, Steve, and uh, Peter, and possibly, you know, uh, Charlie, at least for a portion of the film. That's it. And there isn't a whole much, whole bunch of interaction. There's, there's very few scenes. Uh, Joan, a little bit of Joan there, and there's a few scenes with with Peter out with some friends and uh, Annie out uh, at that group meeting and stuff, things like that. But for the most part, it's these people in their house, disconnected, trying to get through tragic things. Right. So, and dealing with paranormal, uh, paranormal instances in their, in their lives and not understanding yeah. what's going on. So, uh, the editing, I think, is actually well done. I think the pacing is, is, uh, pretty good. I didn't have a problem with it. Um, uh, I never felt like it was particularly slow, but I also know it's not everybody's cup of tea. Um, if you want something that moves along quicker, I understand. But for me, it was actually pretty good. I'm going to give it uh, an 88 really good score um yeah i agree a lot um for editing like there are some scenes that i think were excessive and they didn't need but i think for most of all it's fairly well edited and i have zero problem with the pacing i think they nailed the pacing it's a really good slow burn build up and there's certain like there's parts of this i appreciate like some parts like i said they're excessive like we don't need that many blatant shots of certain things but there's also ones that you only realize after you're like driving home from the theater. Like in the beginning of this movie, we see that Charlie often sleeps outside in this little uh, shed or yeah. not shed, um, uh, treehouse. Yeah. There are no heaters when Charlie is in there. She doesn't have any blankets, and it's only when I was driving home to realize it's because it's payment. He's a demon. He's hot. He's going to be in out in the cold and it's not going to affect him. Whereas when uh, Annie was in there, she had all the heaters and blankets and whatnot. And so you knew that he wasn't in her. He was mostly in Charlie. I only realized on the way home, like that's really effective. And they didn't, they didn't make that obvious. And I really like that. You only figure it out when you're really thinking about the movie. So I gave this a solid 85 for editing and pacing. Okay. Okay. All right. Let's get to the last one, which is rewatchability. Uh, you know, actually, I kind of went back and forth on this a little bit because this is one of those movies where, on one hand, I feel like it's got a high rewatchability factor, but it's only got a high rewatchability factor probably for a short period of time. Like, I could rewatch this movie probably four or five times. And I'm not saying I wouldn't watch it again because I feel like it's a good movie that I would probably want to rewatch from time to time. But while I may watch it in quick succession, say over the first six to 12 months, maybe four or five times, uh, thereafter, I probably would end up watching it once every few years just because I I don't know that I would need to, you know, I I would want to watch it a lot right away just because I want to, I want to pick up on details like the one is point you just made with the heaters i didn't even realize that. that's a great point you know i didn't even think about that that's brilliant 
But that's the kind of thing that I would pick up maybe in my second or third viewing when I go, oh, okay, that, okay, that makes sense. That's why. So this is a movie, like I said, this, re- this rewards repeat viewings because there's yeah. just so many details and things you got to pick up on as you do the rewatch a few times. And then after a while, you're like, okay, I've picked up, I think, on just about everything. Um, so I don't need to watch this again for a while. So, uh, anyway, um, yeah. So first I kind of put this up in like around 90, but then I thought, ah, you know, like I said, after a while, I don't know that I would want to watch this all the time. Um, it's creepy. It's brilliant. It's well done, but I think I'd probably go with something like an 86 for my rewatch. It's not bad. You know, it's certainly got a good rewatchability grade, but it's not a movie that I'm going to watch 50 times. Exactly. It's a movie that, like like you said, you're going to watch it a couple times, you know, to see things you missed because you know they're there. Because, I mean, the first watch, you're taking in everything. and It's, it's a lot to ingest. So, of course, you're going to miss stuff. And there's always going to be these little details. And that, that's what makes this movie really great. Um, and then I would think after that, I would only maybe watch it again if I was showing it to somebody. Like, we're having a horror movie night and you wanted to show like, something that was really going to get them. Like, this would be something that you'd show. Um, so I gave it an 80. Okay. So I think we're in the same ballpark. <laughs> yeah, somewhere in the same ballpark. Right, exactly. Um, okay, so uh, I just want to toss out uh, the overall grade uh, for me is an 89, which I think I thought that's probably around where it was going to come out at, you know, but you're getting close to like the, the 90 there and i think that that uh that ultimately is a pretty good grade i think for a movie like this where it's just got a lot of strong qualities it's got a few things it could have done better but overall it's it's a good movie so uh you by the way have also an 89 so we are actually the same i mean you're actually just a shade above you're like at 89.16666 But basically, it's just an 89. That's uh, pretty cool. So, yeah. You know, funny enough, we just happened to come up at the same grade, really. Uh, you were a little higher in acting, um, just a shade higher in script, uh, a little higher in special effects. Um, but I was higher in pacing and rewatchability, you know, so it kind of just evened out. Evens out. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, great. So in our overall grade is an 89 for the Freaking Geeks, uh, to- Freaking Geeks total score, 89. So there you go. Yep. Makes it easy. <laughs> Makes it easy. That's right. Uh, yeah. A lot of fun. Got a chance to watch this movie. Glad we got a chance to talk about it because it's a, it's a good movie. It's creepy. It's a, I wouldn't say it's fun necessarily, but it is a enjoyable to a certain extent, to a certain degree movie to watch if you like horror. It really makes you think about it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Like for days, I know how this will be on my mind and I'll still be thinking about things I might've missed or things that will pop up. And I, This is the kind of movie that it's great to have somebody to really dive deep in it because you know that they're going to have stuff that you missed and you're going to have stuff that they missed and have different theories. And that's what these movies are really, this type of movie is really great because you don't exactly know hundred percent what's going on. So it's fun to have other theories and really dive deep into it. Precisely. Exactly. 
exactly. All right, everyone, that looks like it's it for us uh, with this review, this uh, spoiler review of Hereditary. Uh, I'm going to try and get some sleep tonight. Not really sure if I'll be able to, but uh, do the best I can. Last couple of nights have been particularly great, but, you know, uh, maybe... Pray you don't sleepwalk. Pray I don't, yeah. Pray I don't sleepwalk and pray when I get to the bathroom there isn't someone crouched in the corner of the room up against the ceiling. Ready I to... legitimately, before I went to bed last night, it was in the dark, I looked around. <laughs> I looked at all the corners in my room, just made sure. that. that... Like, I know it's irrational, but I'm still going to check. That's pretty creepy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, we'll see you guys next week when we're doing The Incredibles. So look forward to that review. Uh, excited to watch that. Super excited, actually. So, uh, yep. Until next time, thanks for listening to the podcast, and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye, geeks.